Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. We're very excited to introduce to you the next mini-series here on the Coffeehouse that will feature what we're going to call musical gadgets. To an average listener of classical music, these items are unseen and unheard. However, they are instrumental in making quality performances happen. Going to start off talking about the metronome and the love-hate relationship some musicians have with the device. Our metronomic history starts way back in 1518 in Italy. It was at this time that the true Renaissance man Galileo Galilei was tinkering with pendulums. So we all know what a pendulum is. Essentially, a weight set on the end of a long length of string or even rigid material that's allowed to swing back and forth from a stationary pivot point at the other end. Galileo's discovery was that pendulums inherently had properties of isochronism, meaning that a certain length of pendulum will always swing at the same amplitude, which means that it has a set time it takes to swing back and forth. This concept became the basis for mechanical clocks to be developed in the next century. So, did Galileo invent the metronome? Well, no, it would take several more centuries for that invention to really come about. Anyone who's ever watched a basic pendulum swing back and forth will notice that eventually it will start to swing at a different tempo that's not its ideal period. This is due to natural energy losses from factors like friction or air resistance, so the arc of the pendulum gradually becomes smaller. The cure for this loss of energy and thus the inaccuracy of the time was developed first by the clockmaker Christian Huygens in the 1600s and improved by George Graham in the 1700s. They worked on what is called the escapement, which is an extra gear that's attached to the pendulum where the teeth of the gear interact with the pivot of the pendulum to accurately measure how often it should swing. So the stage was set for the metronome to come onto the scene and keep perfect time. However, there were still a few problems. For the common lengths of time that would be useful for musicians, the pendulum would need to be quite long, at least a meter in some cases, and ideally you would be able to change the length of the pendulum to give different beats, all within the same machine. So first, the problem of length was solved rather handily in 1812 by Dietrich Niklaus Winkel, he discovered a double-weighted pendulum. Instead of just one swinging weight at the end of a pivot point, there would be a central fulcrum with weights on either end attached by a rigid material. This resulted in each weight swinging in opposite directions of each other, and the energy of the pendulum was distributed differently across the length. This was a major breakthrough, as the lengths of double-weighted pendulums could be significantly shorter than single-weighted pendulums intended for the same period. 
Winkle also solved the problem of needing to have different periods built into the same machine. One of the pendulum weights would be able to be adjusted up and down the length, thus altering the pendulum properties and being able to change the speed of the swing. In 1814, Winkel produced a prototype with these design characteristics and called it a musical chronometer. Winkel was excited about his invention and wanted others to learn about it, so he donated this prototype to the Royal Institute of Sciences, Literature, and Fine Arts in his home country of the Netherlands. And his idea was quite popular. One ambitious inventor from Germany, Johann Nepomuk Meltzel, saw it in the museum and was so taken by the creation that upon returning to Germany, he tried his hand at creating his own chronometer device. And he saw room for improvement as well. Along the length of the pendulum with the movable weight, he inscribed how many swings the pendulum would make per minute, essentially the modern beats per minute notation that we know today. In 1815, Meltzel patented Winkel's idea as his own across several countries in Europe under the name the Metzel Metronome. Poor Winkel probably learned a big lesson in sharing scientific ideas only after you have taken the appropriate copyright and patent precautions. <laughs> Meltzel gained fame for this new invention by sending free samples of it to prominent musicians, including a deaf Ludwig von Beethoven. Beethoven apparently saw excellent use for the little device and began adding MM markings to his compositions. Interestingly, most people assume MM stands for metronome marking, but it actually stands for Meltzel metronome. Over the years, metronomes have obviously improved to be more accurate or user-friendly. We now have access to digital metronomes and even more recently metronome apps for other electronic devices. These new developments are improvements to the original design not only in their accuracy of timekeeping, but also that you can change the clicks to stress certain beats, for example to stress every fourth beat to show the beginning of every 4-4 measure. And of course, the infamous Dr. Beat metronome will also yell out the counts for you or lay down a cool drum beat in the background. And now the history section is over and we come to one of the hottest debates in the classical music world. Should metronomes be used or not? Many people say yes, especially for the Romantic era pieces that did receive a specific marking from their composers. Surely that's the best way to ensure we are performing it as close to historically accurate as possible. However, this too leads to some debate. Occasionally, the tempo markings we see in Beethoven's work are noted to be, quote, absurdly fast and thus possibly wrong. It has been extensively proposed that Beethoven's metronome may actually have been broken. Around the time he received a metronome from Meltzel, Beethoven and Meltzel were actually finishing up a feud in which Meltzel had proposed a piece of music that Beethoven had gone on to write, and Meltzel claimed he had technically been its true creator. The resulting exchange of the metronome was thought to be a peace offering of sorts, but what's to say the mischievous Meltzel did not purposely provide Beethoven with a defective model? Historians have actually recovered Beethoven's personal metronome. However, throughout history, something has happened to one of its pendulum weights, so we can't actually test its true timekeeping abilities that Beethoven would have experienced. 
Other people argue that Beethoven surely would have possessed a mechanical clock as well and could have easily compared the beating to ensure proper function of his metronome. Furthermore, tempo markings that correlate to different movement notations such as allegro or adagio are fairly consistent between Romantic-era composers from Beethoven to Chopin, meaning Beethoven knew what he was doing, or else everyone's metronomes were broken. Other arguments from critics and musicians alike state that working with a metronome would make performances sound robotic and lifeless. This is a good point, if metronomes were actually used during performance. What these critics of the metronome seem to forget is that a metronome is a practice tool, not a performance tool. If a musician is unable to provide a compelling performance after having practiced with a metronome, it's not the fault of the machine but that the performer has failed to instill any expression into the music. In the pro-metronome camp, we have more modern composers such as Stravinsky and great conductors such as Herbert von Karajan. Stravinsky's music often requires strict adherence to a beat, think the forceful rhythms of Rite of Spring. However, the same Rite of Spring piece starts out with a languid and ponderous bassoon solo that surely does not need a strict metronome beat. Many musicians alive during the metronomic revolution of the 1800s also argued that they were unnecessary because a performer should be able to feel the steady beat from within. The counterpoint to that is, of course, yes, one should be able to keep steady time, but anyone who's ever listened to a group of elementary school children play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on the recorder will know that humans don't inherently have a great sense of time. But that's not to say it can't be learned. The aforementioned conductor Herbert von Karajan spent years doing what he referred to as metronome training. The result was that he could walk at a pace of exactly 120 beats per minute while singing at exactly 108 beats per minute. When conducting, he could apparently tell if a solo was coming in even slightly faster or slower than he had been previously beating. And he did all this without a metronome in front of him, once he had done the proper training. And listening to his recordings, one wouldn't say they were robotic sounding at all. Many pedagogical methods in music advocate for metronome games to aid in the learning of music. These often revolve around selecting a particularly difficult musical passage and playing it well under tempo with the aid of a metronome to keep from accidentally falling into a more comfortable tempo. The basis of this idea is that a student will learn the notes and rhythms, but also develop their technique, learning the timing their muscles need to produce steady sounding notes. Once it is comfortable at a slow tempo, the student simply works on moving the metronome rate up gradually, usually in increments of about 4 beats per minute, until desired speed is achieved. Through the slow, deliberate practice, the resulting final product will have the muscle memory and accuracy needed to perform without the metronome. Once this comfortable state is reached, then expression can be added with the exactness of the time being allowed to slide around at will. Jean-Michel Basquet, an artist who wrote inspirational graffiti messages, coined the phrase, quote, Art is how we decorate space. Music is how we decorate time. End quote. The humble metronome helps musicians find the time that needs decorating and then show their final products to the audience. 
If you have enjoyed how you spent your time listening to this episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, please consider sharing with a friend so they too can have an enjoyable time. <laughs> you can also leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play and contact us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Camille Saison's Bacchanal from Samson and Delilah was performed for two pianos by Christoph Zbiden. Phase 2 was written and performed by Zyluzico. You can find The Coffeehouse on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. <laughs>